Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. I have two amazing people with me today, amazing guests. I have Christine Yu. Christine Yu is an amazing director, and she's a USC Trojan graduate, which you know I, I have to give her much love for that. Um, she's a, an award-winning director, and she's directed other films prior to the movie that we're going to talk about today, which is 26.2 to Life. And we're, it's an amazing film. And Christine, we're going to talk about all the awards you have. You know, I, I was looking, looked up all the awards. I would spend 15 minutes on all the awards you've received so far. So I don't know how many of these should I read off. I'm confused about all this. So you have Audience Awards as the Santa, Santa Barbara Film International, um, Santa Barbara International Film Festival, the Seattle International Film Festival, the San Francisco Documentary Film Festival, the A AV Film Festival in Sonoma, the Woods Hole Film Festival. I can keep going if you want. The Independent Film Fest Festival in Boston. Should I keep going? I don't know. I, I think I might tire you out with all these. Every time, honestly, it's a total, <laughs> total surprise. I mean, a year ago, we were just uh, hoping we would get into a film festival. Well, I have to tell you, it, your film is impressive. And I have one of the wonderful people in your film that you focus on. And there's a lot of other wonderful people in here as well. Um, but I'm lucky to know Markel. I've known Markel for quite a while now. Mr. Markel Taylor. Markel Taylor is an accomplished runner. He's an, actually an amazing runner. He's, I mean, I, I think he's 21. He said he's 51, but he looks 21. And he's in fantastic shape. Um, like I said, acclaimed runner and humanitarian. He is sponsored by a runner's mind. So he gets all he gets all these free cool gear that I wish I could get. I'm totally jealous. And he's a member and volunteer of the Thousand Mile Club. And he has his shirt on. And Christine has the 26.2 to life shirt on. And I'm jealous of both of you. And I, I had to give Markel a hard time because his email is what's your email, Markel? Markel runs at gmail.com. What a what a great email. I'm so jealous of that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I guess I guess I wanted to start off by saying, first of all, thank you both for being here today. And I've wanted you both on for probably like what, like four or five months now. So or, or longer probably. But um, I guess first, Markel, I, I wanted to ask you if you could give me a little bit about yourself growing up and, you know, I, and then, and we can kind of segue into how you end up meeting Christine because you met her at San Quentin. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself growing up and how you how you went into the prison system? And then we can talk, uh, and then we can explore with Christine about how you guys connected. Yes, but I, I wanted to say this first because you kind of left out, and I don't want to leave them hanging. But I'm a, which is connected to the Thousand Mile Club is. Uh, Tamalpa Running Club, Tamalpa Runners, which is the outside sister to the Thousand Mile Club inside San Quentin. So I'm a, actually a board member and a, a runner uh, also of the Tamalpa Runners. But to answer your question, um, wait, let me go back. Um, um, you want to know how I started running? What was the question again? Well, I, I, I think what I really want to know is, is give me an idea of what it was like growing up. I know you had a, you had a difficult time and you were put in difficult situations growing up. And 
how that ultimately put you in a situation where you had to go to San Quentin and that's where you connected with Christine and how you really turned your life around from where you came at then to what you are today. You're not, you're a totally different person and just a transformation. So can you give our, our audience members a little bit of an idea of your upbringing and then kind of what put you at San Quentin and then how you ended up meeting Christine? Well, I'm originally uh, born in Chicago on the south side of Chicago. Um, and I was with there was what you call from the Robert Taylor projects in Chicago. And of course, I have an older brother that's three years older than me and uh, a father from Chicago and my mom is from Chicago. Um, so, but they were, I wasn't with my both parents together and my brother for too long. It was probably maybe only for like, maybe like the first three years of my life. And then my mom left my dad. Uh, that was pretty tough, kind of a, a abusive relationship. Um, so my mom left my dad and I ended up, me and my brother and my mom ended up living in my grandmother's house for a while. And then in that situation, it was, pretty much pretty tough there because it was a party, big party family with a lot of drugs and and violence and that, uh, and some sexual and abuse and stuff and that. So then my mom was like, uh, we ended up, she ended up meeting Edward Moss, which who ended up being my stepfather. And that was, a very abusive relationship um, and the things I had to go through with that, it would be mentioned in the movie a little bit about that. Um, the uh, physical abuse from the stepfather who only knew what he knew because he was, that was, you know, um, violence that was put upon him when he was growing up is what I found later on to be so. And then, you know, the, the use of drugs and all of that. So it was like, it was hard on him. So that kind of like that frustration and anger and bitterness, uh, you know, was reflected on me, my brother, and also his son, uh, which was my stepbrother. So after a while from there, my mom said, we don't want you, you, we don't want you guys growing up in gangs and stuff like that. So, and it was some other stuff behind also leaving that had to do with my stepfather and my uncles, you know? Um, so I think it was more like for protecting us from the abuse we was getting from my stepfather. And that was pretty violent and, and real tough. And we was only like between four and seven years of age before I came out to California around that time. So it was a lot of abuse and, and stuff like that, the way he treated us. So. My mom took us with my stepfather uh, and we moved out to California. And that was to get away from us being protected from family members from a lot of the, the abuse. So it was like almost like no way <laughs> to get help. So it was, it, was, it was that much tougher. And then growing up in San Francisco, we, we came from Chicago to San Francisco and that was tough because then now we, had to stay in the house. We barely can go outside. And then when we went outside, it was tough in the 80s back then in San Francisco because then we got, it was a lot of bullying and stuff going on 
from the kids in the neighborhood. So not only was we getting it inside, we was also getting it outside. So it was pretty tough until we had to start fighting our way back, you know, taking up for ourselves and stuff like that. So it was environmental influences and, you know, it was a lot of trauma, childhood trauma and, and violence and stuff in the neighborhood and inside the home. So it was that 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 stuff is kind of like what brought me to the point to where I ended up uh in this position now, which uh ended up being a, in a bad situation, ended up coming out to be something beautiful in the end. I know it kind of put you in a situation where you felt as though um you probably didn't deal with things the way you probably should have. And, and it just kind of spiraled out of control. And then you ended up, how many years did they, how many years did you get sentenced when you, when you got sentenced to state prison? I actually got, it was more like 23 years to life. Cause it was like a 15 years plus some enhancements, but they ended up running it all together. So it just ended up being 15 years to life. And then how many years down were you total? before you got out it was 17 years eight months and a few weeks so that's it's, it's a little bit more technical in time i just rounded off to 18 years <laughs> i know I, I, most of the people when I, I ask them that they'll say um 27 years, two weeks, five days, and two hours. <laughs> it's good because every, everybody remembers that, that, that significant amount of time they're in, and they're just kind of counting the days till they get out. Um, so what, when, did you, when did you get to San Quentin? Were you always at San Quentin, or did they move you there? Some, oh, hold on. Somebody's knocking on my door and ringing the doorbell. I don't know if y'all can hear that, but I need to tell some whoever it is that – I'm busy right now. Somebody, can y'all hear that? Yeah. Not a holler in my. Name. Hold okay, on. go no, go ahead, Christine. Christine, do you want Christine? If you can go into a little bit about um, how you guys initially met at San Quentin and what brought you to San Quentin, I guess. Yeah, it was in 2016. It was a, I believe it was a Sunday morning and I was looking at my Apple news feed and I came across an article that said, it was a GQ magazine article that said uh, the San Quentin prison marathon. Um, and I was very intrigued. Um, and I had the, one of the main reasons why I was particularly intrigued with uh, happenings inside a prison is because of I also have a friend who was uh, wrongfully convicted and sentenced to 271 years in California State Prison. And so that morning I read the article um, and it was just one of those moments in life where by the end of the article, I knew that somehow I had to make a movie about this. So I um, could, I'm not a marathoner, but I have always run my whole life. So I could see and understand how running could be beneficial to people inside. You know, I know that, that you get mental clarity, you just feel better after you do it. And, um, and it's uh, a discipline as well. 
And so I contacted the coach, Frank Rona. I found him online. Uh, and he immediately told me actually that there were other people from the article that had approached him about it. And I said that, well, I need to meet you right away. <laughs> so I drove up to, he lives in Marin County, drove up there, met him at a Pete's Coffee. And, um, you know, immediately he actually, I, I had originally approached him to do a regular motion picture you know, a narrative film, because that was actually more of my background. And he immediately told me that I had competition, essentially. And um, I just shared a little bit about my story, the reasons why I was interested in doing it and like, uh, kind of my creative vision. And, um, and a week, and I, honestly, I didn't think that I had a chance, because he had mentioned that Condé Nast, which is a, you know, huge, company had approached him to do it. And so I drove back down to LA. I was like, oh, I probably didn't get it, you know, and I was really bummed because I kind of felt like deep inside that I was somehow meant to tell this story and um, was really stressing for about a week. And then like a week later, he called me and he said, you know, we decided to go with you. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, so this was a big moment in my life. Um, and so then he arranged for me to come in to uh, observe a half marathon, me and my writing partner. Um, and again, originally I was approaching this as like a, as a regular motion picture, but stepping onto that yard <clears throat> for the first time and then having the opportunity, Markel was actually one of the first people that I met. Frank had said, well, you have to meet Markel Taylor. They call him the gazelle. Um, he is the fastest man in San Quentin. He has broken all the records. Um, and I remember meeting Markel for the first time. And this was right after I believe he had finished the race. And he was had a very gentle, genteel nature. And we just had a little bit of a conversation. I remember he said I, I reminded him of somebody that he knew in high school. <laughs> Or something like that. Um, and uh, and then I had a conversation also with some of the other guys. And immediately, I just thought, you know, I just kind of couldn't believe what I was hearing and seeing. And it was it went against everything that I had ever learned or had seen about about prison in general and about people in prison. So I start, so after a couple of months of more research, that's really when I decided I went back to um, Frank and I said, you know, I would actually really like to do this as a documentary instead of as a regular script. There were so many stories coming at me and I felt like people really needed to hear what I was hearing, you know, straight from the source, straight from these guys, you know, that anything that I could say at that point or reinterpret at that point would feel would kind of ring false. So that's actually what really brought me to doing it as a, you know, approaching the, the story of the marathon at San Quentin and the men who run it uh, as a documentary. So uh, you said that it challenged your notion of what prison was like. I think when people think of San Quentin, I mean, San Quentin is one of the oldest prisons in, in the country. And so what do you mean it challenged your view of what you thought prison was like? Uh, well, first of all, when I stepped onto the yard and we were getting ready, they were getting ready for the half marathon event. 
I mean, it felt it felt festive, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was very kind of buoyant and joyous, and there were and it was a lot of good vibes, you know. And you just don't think of any kind of setting in prison is a place that good vibes are going to happen first off, you know? And then I remember having a conversation with Rasan Thomas, who, you know, was doing a, was working at the San Quentin news at the time. And, and I met also Marcus Henderson, who is the current editor in chief there. And I was like, man, this, this guy looks like he writes for the village voice or something, you know, and, and they made me laugh and it, it really stopped, made me pause because, you know, the fact of like laughing in prison, it, it, it unarmed me because I, you didn't think, you don't think about people laughing in prison or those kind of regular human interaction and moments. And, you know, and it, and I like to think of myself as a very, you know, progressive, um, informed person, but um, it struck me that, man, you know, I had actually dehumanized people inside to the point that I don't, I don't think that these people laugh, you know, and so that kind of really um, made me feel uh you know ashamed of my perceptions you know that even if i know somebody in prison you know and i think basically because he was wrongfully convicted so i had somehow separated you know my friend compared to the rest of the population and then you know having these conversations just made me realize no i mean how silly of me to think that people stop <clears throat> being people just because they're inside prison and so that was really the thing that struck me that, you know, I can't be alone with that kind of perception. I think other people must have those perceptions too. And certainly I've worked in the true crime genre as well, you know, as a TV producer and stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of media out there that perpetuates this idea that people who are in prison are only you know, we only look at them through the prism of, you know, the worst thing that they've ever done and not really as full human beings. Yeah. And I think at least with for many people inside, um, I don't think there's many of us that can say you're the same person as you were even two years ago. So I think most people don't understand that people evolve and that that many of us at 18 or 19 were, were many people going, men and women going to prison, you know, 50, 60 years later for some people, some people think they're the same person, but they're actually not the same person. And I don't know anybody, like you said, in general society that would, um, that's the same as when they were 18 or 15. So um, it seems like that's a common perception. But it's great that you had the insight to see that because I think most people hold on to that. So how many how many miles? I mean, how many? So you're running in San Quentin, the San Quentin prison yard, I assume. So I'm trying to set a, a kind of a picture for people. So there's big gates everywhere and there's people with, you know, um, you know, watching down on, on, on the yard, um, which can be stressful. And they're going to talk about this in the movie. But there were times where you're running around the yard and you're getting timed. But one of the big challenges was that sometimes you'd have an alarm go on in the yard and everybody has to stop everything and wait for that alarm to go off to continue running. 
I know that had to be a challenge for you, Markel. Markel, how many times around the San Quentin track was a marathon? 105 laps round. Not necessarily a perfectly round track, and it wasn't flat. So it had like, it was like some of these streets today that they can be sideways, they can be lumpy, it can be gravel, it can be dirt, it can be, you know, it's like six 90 degree angle turns. So it's pretty tough. Some of them is, you almost have to, if you're not careful, you almost got to go to a dead stop to even make some kind of turns or you got to be good at like, see, I play football also. So it's like when you're able to like juke, it's almost like a juke move to turn into some of these angles or get around some of these people when you're walking. But when the alarms go off, you have to sit down and that's different where that elastic acid and all that builds up and, you know, it could be anywhere from like two minutes to like a couple of hours sitting down. So, I mean. Yeah. And let me ask you before you, what made you decide to join? I guess that's one of the biggest questions. And were, were you running before this even started? And do they, can anybody join this group or how does that work? Well, I had a couple of, years of high school experience. I ran, I started running track my junior year in high school. Um, and that was because I got hurt in football, trying out for football, I got hurt uh, during the off season. And uh, so I went into wrestling as a sophomore. And then I joined track my, my junior year. To get better at track, my coach recommended I, I um, I joined a cross country team. So I did cross country the beginning of the year, then track the end of the year. And that was my experience with high school. Then I ran um, a little bit of junior college track. Um, that I put together as like two years experience. Um, other than that, I haven't ran since then for years until I tried running one lap and in size it was actually i ran a couple times in solano when i was there in that prison and i just got lazy for running two laps and i didn't want to do that so i just would go straight to the bars and work out and just straight to do push-ups it wasn't until like later on like years later in san quentin uh a guy on the team uh, a guy where i was working that was like hey look start working out with me because, you know, you do so much time, stuff gets kind of like boring to you. So I stopped working out after a while and just started just settling in and just trying to work and earn some money. And so I was working in inside the uh, commissary or the store where we can buy little groceries. And a guy asked me, he said, hey, start working out with me. And what we normally do is run a mile on the track and then um, we start working out. That's just to get everything fired up and loose. So I couldn't even run one lap at that time, at that point. So I was exhausted, tired. I couldn't run. So um, it wasn't until 
a couple of years after that is when uh, a friend of mine who, who uh, went for the board and he had already been down 26, 27 years at that point, And he was telling me that, uh, that he was stressed out. He getting ready to go to the board. And this is like his fifth time going to the board. And he ended up getting denied when he went and committed suicide. And so, I, and that following year, I was getting ready to go to the board. Uh, and I was like, man, I don't want to go out like him. I mean, I got, because you build up this expectation of possibly getting out and tasting freedom, you know, um, and then, you know, you have these hopes that you'll, you'll be able to get out. And they said it's possible you can get out on your first one, even though I knew that was far-fetched, but I still had these hopes, you know, that, that I would possibly get out. So I just started running again, and I, that's what forced me to run a little bit more. And then after that, it was another guy who uh, uh, was in my religious circle um, in prison, and he was like, man, look. I'm a part of this running club um, that I always noticed. I just shied away from. It was like, man, if you join, you can get a really nice baseball cap and some really nice tennis shoes from the outside. That was the reason why I started running. Because <laughs> I wanted to get some gear. I like clothes. I like hats. you know. And they didn't know I had a history of collecting hats back in the day before I even uh, come to prison. So. That's how I got started running. And Christine, can you tell me more about the who started this? Who started the running program, Frank? And what was the impetus for him to start this? And I know it was very interesting to me when you said that you come from like an actual, like feature film background. That's what you're, and then you went to documentaries, which is pretty amazing. Um, what was that transition for you like? And what was your relationship with Frank like when you're going through this process? Yeah, so a little bit about the background of the club and how it started. It was actually started by a woman named Laura Bowman, who's now Laura, Bo Laura Bowman Salsiter. She was a teacher at the prison. She was actually asked by the head of education at that time at San Quentin, a woman by the name of Miss Bracey to start, she was actually tasked with starting this prison running club. So she, um, she quickly realized that she wouldn't be able to handle the, both the administrative side and also the running side, the coaching side. So she had contacted somebody that she thought would be perfect to coach. He was from East LA. He had a little bit about you know, kind of uh, thought that would have an understanding of the population, contacted him and he said, no, I'm not interested at all. I'm kind of leaving that behind. Um, but you may want to contact Tamalpa Runners. They are the largest running club in Marin County. So she put, so she found um, Frank, she called up Frank, I guess. <clears throat> he was listed on the Tamalpa Running website. <clears throat> and asked him. And so he said that he put an email out to all of the runners. Um, there are about seven or 800 people in the club uh, and got no response, you know, about, is there anybody interested in coaching the running club at San Quentin? So two weeks later, when Laura called him back, uh, he said, I didn't get a response, but uh, 
I guess I'll come in and give it a try. And so Frank went in and the story goes is that when Laura first saw Frank, you know, he's a very, you know, thin kind of uh, understated person. He's a man of very few words, um, a little bit stiff. She didn't think that he would laugh. She would think that he would last for, you know, more than a couple of weeks. And she wasn't sure exactly how the guys would actually take to him as well. Well, you know, this is 2023. And if there's, you know, one thing that I think the guys at San Quentin have learned is that he, Frank shows up anytime he can. Um, he is a person that's run 78 marathons, 38 ultra marathons. He is a person that's dedicated his life to running, but it really wasn't necessarily his running pedigree that, you know, that, um, that really uh, solidified or, or, you know, impressed the guys at the club. It was really Frank's dedication and his willingness to show up all the time. And uh, the relationship that I have with Frank, I would say, is a very special one. He really being witness, I guess, to him for the last several years, he really showed me that one person can truly make a difference in something as entrenched as the present prison system. You know, his enthusiasm and his passion for running created really a community of people. Uh, he built a coaching team uh, that uh, of really experienced runners and really, like I said, created a community that has now extended beyond the prison walls. And, you know, a lot of these coaches have provided continuity for, for men as they have gotten released. So it's in a really an amazing thing that, you know, if he, he hasn't necessarily, you know, you can't necessarily, okay, he's hasn't changed the world, but he's certainly changed the world around him. Right. And I guess that's what I want to ask both of you. Part of it too, you know, what, what did you say? And I feel like I become a part of it too. It's, it truly is a community and it's an amazing thing. Okay. I wanted to ask both of you these questions and I know many people probably want to, how did, how did becoming part of this, um, runners group there, how did it affect and change the lives of those runners that participated in your view? How did it impact your lives? Well, I, just on a statistical level uh, of the, you know, 45 or maybe 50 people that had been released from San Quentin who belong to the club, there's a 0% recidivism rate. So I think that there's obviously something to be said about one, not that running can certainly solve our mass incarceration problem, but, you know, there's something to be said for the power, I guess, of the sport, what people learn from it and the power of community. I think, you know, I think that there is definitely something related, but, you know, probably Markel can speak from personal experience directly about what these changes were or impact of the club on him. I certainly can. Um, well, I know it changed my life and it helped my life uh, come full circle. It was like, 
without that one piece of that puzzle where you can put all the pieces together and that one is missing, it's like it's not complete. So I think with running, that piece was complete. I've, I've been working on my spirituality since I was incarcerated. I got arrested in 2001. I started working on that uh, since 2003, like faithfully, some people call it religiously. Um, and I did tons and tons of self-help groups. It was almost, you had to do that in order to be able to understand how those things happen in your life and uh, what started those things and what ignited these things that happen in your life for you to become the person you became and what you are now today. So to be able to understand these things, the self-help groups, my um, spirituality, and the exercise the, for me personally was, it still was something missing in that piece for that for that for my life to be complete. And it wasn't until I started to join a running club and what I got from that is what put everything together. That's why I was telling people like uh, the last four years of my incarceration, I was already free before even getting out of prison because of the the way everything just came together, um, the way I felt, even if they wouldn't have never let me out, I just had a set program and everything was just clicking. It was just like all cylinders in that car was working. And it ignited this fire of excitement and joy and peace and serenity in my mind and heart to where um, I was able to function and I didn't even look at prison anymore as a, as a punishment for crime. I, I, I looked at it as being uh, a, a learning tool, like a, it was more like a campground for knowledge and education and wisdom and, and family. And it was all these wonderful things that I just, I just reframed my whole mindset to, to something more positive and, and beautiful. And that's why it worked. Um, let me ask you this question, Markel, you, you, and I want you to go into this a little bit. I know Christine probably could remember this day. You had such amazing times. And, and I want to say this. I'm speaking about you right now, but there's many, many people inside that, that ran their first marathon in their life and have run multiple marathons and have had amazing times. Um, one thing that, I, that stood out with you, though, is you had amazing times for your age group and so that really stood out and had the boston marathon so to give this some context your your times were so incredible that that the boston marathon you actually qualified and had a qualifying time for your age group for the boston marathon how did that come about and then it's so weird because you it, you actually paroled Oh, in time to actually go the Boston Marathon on an invitation from the Boston Marathon, which is highly unusual. How did that transpire? And Christine, how did you find out about this as well? Well, there was a lot of work behind that. And uh, you had a lot to do with the involvement of being able to make that dream come true to run the Boston Marathon. But what made me 
get these amazing, incredible times was my purpose behind running it. All these races and all these runs were, it was something that I was doing. It wasn't even really to race to, I mean, of course, it was that excitement to see if I can possibly break a record when I was inside. But my focus when I was running was to do it for, first of all, my victim and the people that I victimized in my lifetime, right? And then every race or every workout after that was dedicated to a certain cause for someone who was struggling with some kind of ailment in their life, whether it was diabetes, whether it was uh, abuse against animals, whether it's children of hunger. It was just, and I was, it was, I was chasing these things with each workout and each race and each win. It was dedicated to a certain uh, cause. So I just got like addicted to that, that, that hunger to do that for people. And so that's why I was able to, uh, my first ever running a marathon in prison was three hours and 16 minutes. Uh, by actually my second fastest time in prison. So what, what was your, what was your fastest time for the marathon? Is that the one that qualified you for the Boston marathon? No, uh, three ten was the qualifying time. That was the last marathon I ran inside San Quentin. Wow! And Christine, did, were you were you on the yard at this time when this happened? Were you aware of all this? Yeah, actually, I was there because that was in so the 2018. So the marathon usually takes place in November of every year. Uh, that November in 2018, because of I guess fires and lockdowns and things, the 2018 marathon took place in January of 2019, which Markel had already been found suitable for parole in the fall of 2018. Uh, just waiting to see, you know, when he was going to get a date and, you know, final approval from the governor. So when um, he made the qualifying time, everybody was like, oh, my God, this is amazing because. I got to tell you, so one, the very first interview I did with Markel, I said, you know, what is what is your goal? Essentially, you know, what is your running goal? And he said, well, I'd like to qualify for Boston, you know, be here at the prison and be the first one to do that. And, you know, this is my first interview with with Markel. I really didn't know him really at all, really at that point. And in the back of my mind, you know, I was kind of laughing at him because I'm thinking, dude, you're in prison. You know, you're gonna like run Boston. You know how you know how unlike, but you know, hey, you know, it's it's important to dream and to have dreams. But in the back of my mind, I was kind of like, yeah, right, guy. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, buddy. Like, you know, good luck to you. And you know, miraculously, you know, God works in mysterious ways, as we know. Um, and uh, I had I was actually finished with uh, the principal photography at that time in 2019. I thought that I had pretty much kind of shot the film. And then when Markel did qualify, we're like, oh, my God, you know, we, we, we've got to, you know, follow him to Boston. We've got to, like, somehow make it make that happen. And, um, you know, of course, Martin, that's how we met. Yeah, and well, I, I, I wanted to say that um, 
I have to give credit. There's many, many people in um, CDCR that that you reached out to, Christine, um, to advocate for Markel and others inside um, over the years. And those people in CDCR and the corrections in California have actually been very supportive of your film and supportive of Markel and supportive of those people that are, are doing positive things in the institution. So I really have to give a lot of credit to them. It wasn't any one person. I think that there's a lot of people that worked really hard to make sure those people that are doing the right things, you know, have the opportunity to be come out and be successful. So Markel, you know, I, one of the things I always tell people this, um, I know there's many times you think, other people but really this is your work i mean this is who what this is the work you did you did all that work inside to become a better person um, like you said you were don't you would go ahead and dedicate your runs to different organizations that was something that you did and so your transformation is your transformation so you know although i think a lot of people say hey you know thank you for us thank you for giving people a nice thank yous markel but this really is a testament to who you are inside so, you know, and, and to all and, and to all the men and women that took part in this film and this project. Um, and I've been pretty fortuitous to get to know some of the people that worked with Christine. A lot of them really um, this is a it has been a labor of love for them and put in a lot of times. This is a many years in the making. And that's why I think it's pretty amazing that that everybody in the movie and Christine, your 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 group that put this together are getting all the claim that they have been getting. Um, you've won a lot of awards and you've been featured in the New York Times and all these different journals. And I, I can't keep up with all the all the media and all the all the great press you're getting for this film. And um, it's just very, very impressive. And I have to ask you this question, Markel. When you were in Boston, what did it feel like to be there? I mean, you were only out of prison for like a couple of weeks and then here you are in Boston. What was that feeling like for you? And then, Christine, what was it like for you to be flying to Boston at the last minute with all your whole film crew trying to figure out what am I going to do here? I, I, I thought I finished my film here and now I've got this, you know, this amazing ending to a film that I didn't even plan for. Wow. Um, I think that's why I was able to run 310 in prison because I was found suitable. Uh, that just lifted some more weights off my shoulders. Like, um, however, what actually never even been on the East Coast like that, um, that was such a beautiful and amazing experience. That was kind of like, I, I kind of felt like it was hard to really grasp and really get the full feeling of that because I was just out of prison. So it was kind of like, I really loved it and it was a beautiful experience for me. But then wait a minute, my mind didn't click off me just like, I just got my freedom. I didn't think I would ever get out of prison. I had life. So it was like, it was conflicting emotions, but I was extremely grateful and appreciative to be out and being able to have that opportunity to do something uh, and I knew that also what helped me to be strong with those mixed emotions was the fact that I am helping represent all the guys that was left behind. 
inside those walls that are incarcerated. And I have to be strong for them. It was it was an incredible day of <clears throat> so many crazy emotions and hardship that particular day. Um, you know, what what is in the film is of course just a snippet of what happened, but I will say in the morning of the marathon, there was a fire alarm that went off in the hotel. And we were all in the lobby, all of our gear, everything was on the 18th floor. We got <laughs> to the bus in like 10 minutes, you know, and they were like, uh, you know, we don't know when the elevators are working, it'll be fine. So me and my DP were like, running up 18 flights of stairs to get our camera gear and coming back down. And then I'm like, guys, we got to go to the starting line. <laughs> you got to get on a bus, which was about a mile out from where we were. So we're all like running there, um, you know, before daylight even hits torrential rain pour starts coming down, you know, I mean, it was a lot of drama just to even get there to the starting line and just to, you know, be there with Markel um, on his first trip. He, you know, he had only been to on a plane to L.A. before. And just that whole experience was, I mean, it was unforgettable for me. It's probably one of the most unforgettable days I'll, I'll ever have in my life. You know, I, I will take that with me to my grave as one of the most amazing, incredible days. Um, and to just see him push through, you know, that hardship and to see him cross that finish line. I remember we were, you know, so, so as soon as you go to the, um, you know, starting line, we were like booking to the finish line to get there. And there's a lot of traffic and all that kind of stuff, my whole film crew. And so we had a spot out on the bleachers and Boston Marathon, you know, allowed our cameras to be there. And we were the first independent film to be allowed to do that and stuff. And all of a sudden we start seeing Markel was on the Jumbotron. And we're like, no way, this guy's on the Jumbotron. This is incredible, you know. Um, and to really to see the kind of impact that you know, I, I already knew the kind of impact Markel had on me personally throughout the years. But now when he is on running's biggest stage in the world and to be interacting with uh, fellow runners from all walks of life, you know, all around the world and to see the kind of impact that his story and his run meant for people and how it really touched people was really something to behold. And uh, I just feel incredibly blessed to have been able to, you know, to have been able to film that. That was, it was unforgettable, just absolutely triumphant. Um, what has been the reception to your film? Uh, I've heard um, great things. Um, I know that you, I, I was fortunate enough to go to a um, screening at San Quentin that was, was amazing. Um, that we were one of the first people to see the film. So that was just kind of, I felt very, very lucky to have been there. Uh, what's the reception been at the film festivals? And I know you gave one in Sacramento, the Capitol recently. I know you're going to be giving one, another one in Sacramento. If you can talk about that. And also, when is this going to be released? And how can, I know people are asking as they're listening to this, when can I hear, when can I go see this film? Well, 
So thank you for asking that. Um, and I got to say a year ago, I mean, I was incredibly depressed about the state of the film. Uh, this is something I started back in 2016. I'm an independent filmmaker. This was actually my first feature documentary. I'm not an experienced documentarian. So it was very, very, very hard going in terms of getting the resources together to really to finish. And so I really want to thank my team too that you know that all came together to to make it happen and we were getting re a lot of rejection you know i gotta say ton of rejection um uh doc nyc uh accepted the film for our world debut november of 2022 last year and that just really set us off on an amazing trajectory um and the film has been doing great at film festivals for the last six months and it's also been incredible to see post-screening when we have the Q&As and Markel is there. And like I said, he's, I think I mentioned earlier, what an amazing ambassador he is for representing the Thousand Mile Club. And as he says, the people that he left behind there, he has really been the film. And then for people to be in the same room as Markel, I can see, and you can feel the difference actually in the room as it's happening. I can't tell you how many standing ovations this man has has had. Um, he has really been it been amazing that the film is connected with so many people in that way. And so I'm just incredibly grateful to all of the festivals that have accepted the film, that have you know really been given amazing hospitality to us and also opportunities for social impact. So, you know, in addition to film festivals, like say, for example, when we went to Cleveland, you know, they, they helped arrange an amazing program for us where we also got to visit a juvenile hall and Markel had the opportunity to connect with a group of, you know, young boys that um, really, really, left an impression on them. He also answered a lot of questions that they had because they, you know, some of them are going on to adult prisons and he provided real advice and insight into like how to navigate that, how to stay out of trouble, how to, you know, not join gangs and, um, you know, stay on a path of, uh, you know, of positivity. Um, we visited the prison in, in Seattle, near Seattle, that has a thousand mile club that had been effectively shut down. Um, the, the screening provided an opportunity to have the warden there as well. And so, you know, post that our discussion there, and again, um, having that opportunity to connect with the guys inside, uh, you know, the film, what we what we've seen when we had the screening at San Quentin, for example, we really decided that it was really important for us to get this film seen in as many prisons as possible. So because many men told me afterwards or told us afterwards that it gave them a sense of hope that seeing Markel cross that finish line in Boston reminded them that it's important to have dreams and that it's important to have goals. They said that it, it helped inform them about how to prepare for their parole hearings. 
you know, how to, you know, the kind of insight that Markel and the other men shared. Um, there's particularly a poignant moment with Tommy Lee Wickard, who's the, one of the other subjects, and how he navigated a relationship with his son. And that moment really opened up, I understand, a lot of conversation for men to open up about their situations with their children um, and discuss that discussions that we understand went way beyond into the cell block. So, you know, we are... Um, have been talking with different prisons about doing further screenings there and also uh, potentially starting, you know, running clubs at, at more prisons. Um, there's a 0% recidivism rate, as I mentioned earlier, and I think that that is an arresting figure for a lot of people, important figure. Um, and so to that effect, we're very happy to announce that um, Hoka, the running shoe, um, ha is enabling us to uh, open in theaters on September 22nd, uh, LA, New York, uh, Boston, Bay Area, and Seattle, September 22nd. And then September 29th to October 1st, there will be a nationwide virtual premiere. So anybody anywhere can see the film by going to our website sanquentinmarathon.com. You can purchase a ticket. There will be a special conversation featured also with Brian Stevenson, who is the founder and executive director of Equal Justice Initiative and best-selling author of Just Mercy. Um, so we will be also, you know, the, we'll have a conversation featured with him. Um, but we really want to hope, especially opening weekend, we're, in, we're a small indie film. This is not a studio-backed film. So we really hope that people will come join us in the theaters and opening weekend. We will be doing a lot of Q&As so people will have the opportunity to meet Markel, the coaches, some of the other members of the Thousand Mile Club you know, for live Q and A's there. And uh, we hope that people join us in this conversation about rehabilitation and about how to, um, you know, and get involved in volunteering. And how, how would they buy one of those cool shirts you have on? You can go to our website and Markel's got his own line of merch. Yes. Too. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. going to be at your, it's going to be at your, can you give your website name again? I'm going to ask Markel to, to plug what he's going on. What's good. He's got going on as well. Yeah. So it's uh sanquentinmarathon.com is our website. People, you can get all, keep up with all of our latest updates there. We're also on Instagram at SQ marathon and on Facebook um, at 26.2 to life, which is really the movie name. Um, and uh yeah you can go to our store you can get cool shirts and also support I love it. stuff like that yeah markel how do people get a hold of yeah we're in the process of connecting markel's store to our website now oh i love it so markel um how do people get a hold of you and um can you give information about your clothing line and store that's going to be coming out um, I had several people. First of all, I'd like to thank Christine for helping us uh, uh, get our stories out there to the world and to show how um, there's good and bad, even and but there is transformation happening behind the walls. 
and people are uh, human and better people than they were when they first was incarcerated. So I thank Christine for that. I also thank uh, you, Martin, for uh, helping allow uh, stuff like this to happen where we can still talk about this and, and shine more light on how we can better help people behind the walls and, you know, the social justice impact and how to just continue to uh, just not dehumanize people, but bring people, uh, shine light on people that just make mistakes and just need a second chance. Uh, and um, I also want to thank all these people like the coaches and everybody else who was involved and in helping us to feel like we are human, that we are valuable and to help us lift our esteem up and feel better about ourselves so we can continue to have faith and hope and dreams, even if we are incarcerated, that one day that we might have freedom. And if not, we can still survive and live a productive life, which I did uh, behind the walls, even though I wasn't released at that time. So it's still possible to even live that way if you can just change your mindset. And that's what the coaches and everyone who participate in stuff like this and things that you guys are doing uh, to make us feel like we are human and that we are somebody and that we can continue to keep our head up high, you know, even though we made some mistakes in our lives that uh, that people just frown upon. So um, I appreciate that. And all the, you know, and like, those film festivals and, and people like that, all the film festivals that help support me and the cause for helping uh, formerly incarcerated men and incarcerated men. Um, it's a lot of work still need to be done and uh, whatever I can do, I'm gonna continue to do what I can do to help everyone, not just in California prisons, but uh, prisons and, uh, and, and just people in prison in their own mind and hearts even on the outside is struggling. So whatever I can help to do with that. And I think with this kind of work that we're doing, I, I, this just shows that, you know, that we have love for people and, and love for humanity and that um, anything is possible if you never give up on it. I agree, Markel. So I assume, um, I love what you said. Absolutely love what you said. I, I don't think anybody can say any better than that. And, and we're we're proud of you, Marco. You you know you're uh, the, the reason you're on the podcast, and Christine is that it's your shining example of what change does in the world and and the impact that change can make in the world when you're working toward good. So I just want to tell tell you both, thank you for being here. And if you want to get and Markel's going to be releasing a line of clothing, uh, it's going to be connected to um, Christine's website. So please look. Yeah, they're still there. working on it. They're still working on mine. So it's like I got a website and I got a store that's supposed to be getting combined. They're working on it. So I just thank Christine and them for allowing that that other avenue to where I can be able to do that. And Markel, you know, what's your what's your website? Man, it's, it's explore some dot. He's working on it. Yeah. Okay. It's, no worries. Look at Mark. It's so confusing. I don't even want to. It's so confusing yeah. right now. Like it's still being worked on. Like. But so in the future, they'll find it. If it's linked to, if it's linked to yeah. the 26.2 to life um, website. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You'll be able to find it. So 
but I want to thank you both for being here so much. Um, you know, both of you are just great folks and uh, just keep the great work. And, and I want to thank the audience for taking the time to listen to, uh, to these wonderful stories and until next time and our, and our next guest, thank you so much and keep learning. Thank you. Thank you.